Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at recruiting and consulting firm RiderFlex. If you think today's tip or guest interview can help someone you know, please share this with them. And if you enjoy listening to our show, please subscribe to our channel and hit the like button on the episodes. Finally, aside from our podcast, our day job here at RiderFlex is to provide recruiting, staffing, and consulting services. You can visit riderflex.com to learn more about us and get the information on the services we provide. And now, a quick word from our sponsor and friends at Marketing 360. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. Caleb Avery on the Rider Flex podcast. Hi, Caleb. Hey, Steve. How are you doing today? I'm hanging in there. Uh, hanging in there. Uh, you're in Boulder, Colorado. Beautiful Boulder, Colorado, right? Calling in from, from Boulder. Been here about five years now, and it's a little cold today, but overall, it's, a, it's an awesome place to be. You know, we're recording this on December 7th, 2021. It has been an exceptionally dry warm winter so far right like where's the snow man what what is going on here <laughs> this has reminded me why i moved to, to colorado so i'm a i'm a big golfer and the first year that i moved here five years ago i got to golf essentially every month out of the year and then the last few years it's just been snowing like crazy and so it's been nice to have some warmer weather you know lasting much later into the year uh, so you're a big golfer huh were you a golf, golfer in uh, school and in college or just casual or did you play competitively I, I played on in the amateur tour in college. So once upon a time, I was a pretty good golfer. I, uh, I wouldn't say that I'm nearly the, the same caliber of golfer I was, uh, you know, back then. Now, now I have kids and if I get out, you know, once a month, I'm pretty happy, but I, I enjoy <laughs> golfing. <laughs> hey man, tell us about your, your childhood, where you grew up, your family, mom, dad, give, give us some early stuff real quick. If you don't mind, before we get into business. For sure. Yeah. So I grew up in Georgia in the, in the suburbs outside of Atlanta, finished high school out near the, the University of Georgia. So my, okay. my dad was a, a bulldog for uh, undergrad and grad school. So I got to, to finish out my, my high school out in the, out in the country in, in Georgia. And then I went to college at Furman University in, in Greenville, South Carolina, which uh, I'd say pretty well-known school in the, in the South. But uh, if you're not from the from the south, not a lot of people have heard of, of Furman, but great business why? program. Why Furman? Uh, why Furman for me? So Furman was about a two-hour drive from where I grew up, which was far enough that uh, I could still drive home on the weekends. But my parents had to call first if they were gonna, <laughs> you know, come show up. And so it was uh, it was a great school, re really solid business program, and and I think just the right geographical location for for me at the time. Liberal arts school, so probably got a great education. You remember what student count was there, roughly? How many students? A little over three thousand, so pretty pretty small student body. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. relatively speaking. Uh, I'm asking that question because I went to a liberal arts school myself in Oklahoma with right around three thousand students, so I can relate. I know exactly the type <laughs> of atmosphere, probably, and culture that you were involved with there. You know, everybody kind of knows everybody a little bit. Like if you're if you're dating Mary, you know, everybody kind of knows. <laughs> yep. All right. So I can, I can relate. Uh, what, what'd your mom and dad do? Uh, and, and did you have any siblings? 
Uh, I have two siblings. So I've got a, a brother and a sister that are both uh, younger. My, my dad was in sales, all, all different types of, of sales. And my mom was, was lucky enough to stay home and, and take care of us. Cool. All right. Very good. Your mom and dad still alive? They are. And they actually now live in Colorado. So they, they moved oh. out here to, to join us here in Colorado. So we moved out here about five years ago. And since then, my, my parents have moved out here, my sister, a couple of my college roommates. And so uh, I guess we're a part of the problem bringing people into the, the Colorado yeah. area. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Why don't you stop doing that? No, I'm just playing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> does your mom and dad or your sister work inside the company? Uh, no, they, okay. they are okay. investors, but not uh, not employees. They're investors. Okay, gotcha. All right. So you got some family close in Colorado now. Well, that's good. And Okay. Very good. You married kids. What's, what's going on? You said you had a couple of kids. Yeah. So met my wife at Furman. Uh, mm -hmm. and so we, we've been together, geez, over 10 years now. And we've got two little kids uh, at this point. So I've got a, a three and a half year old daughter. And then my son uh, at this point is 21 months, so almost, almost Ooh. two year old son. So we wow. are, we are busy, uh, not, not sleeping a ton, but uh, it's, it's just awesome. Love, uh, it's busy, love busy, You're busy. Your house and Christmas this year is going to be super fun for you, right? I mean, wow, that's going to be. Yeah, we're we're going through a, a purge right now of all the the toys in the house because I know they're going to get more for for Christmas, and so that's <laughs> that's what my wife's doing at the moment, going through and purging all the old toys so that we can donate a lot of the stuff that you know they've had previously, and definitely I think an exciting year where you know this is the first year that my son I think understands the concept of yeah. you know what's actually happening and mm -hmm. you know for for my daughter you know she's really excited about getting to to see Santa and we've gone to a couple of you know Christmas parades and so it's it's definitely fun to see them you know finally uh, excited about the the holiday very nice so now how did you meet your wife can you just give me the story like were you over in the girls dorm <laughs> and you saw her in the hallway or were you at a party or what, what, what's give me this give me the scoop yeah. Um, so I met my wife freshman year of, of college. We were on a, a double date. Uh, technically, oh. I was on a, a date with a with another girl and she was fifth wheeling the, the date and saw her and just decided that was, you know, who I wanted to, to spend more time with. And so broke up with uh, that girl the, the next day and started talking to, to my now wife. And we've been together ever since. Wow. OK, where did she grow up? She grew up. Uh, most of her family's from Boston, uh, but oh. she has really lived all over. So she spent, uh, about seven years of her childhood living in Italy. And so that's, that's why the, the hesitation on, you know, where, where she grew up, uh, her dad was in renewable energy, building out wind and solar farms, uh, in different locations all around the world. And so they, mm. they moved a lot, uh, you know, growing up, but her family roots are, are all in Boston. Okay. How does she like Colorado? Loves it. It's hard not to love Colorado, isn't it? I mean, if you ever met anybody, I've, in fact, I've never met somebody say, oh yeah, I just, I just hate it in Colorado like that. I've never had that conversation with anybody. <laughs> if you like, if you like being outdoors, it's, it's pretty hard not to enjoy uh, being in Colorado, especially, you know, here in Boulder, the, the restaurant scene's amazing. We're starting to get our kids into a lot of the extracurricular activities. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we, we have absolutely enjoyed, uh, you know, our time here. I'm going to guess I know how you got to the Boulder area, but before we jump to that, walk me through. So when you were, when you were at college, I think you started a business with some buddies mm -hmm. back then. So where did the entrepreneurial bug, like, did you, 
did you know early on, like, I want to own my own business? Was that a thing in high school? Where'd that come from? How early was that? Yeah, I think I have always liked the idea of, you know, owning my own business and, and working for myself. And I think a lot of it is just wanting to, you know, control my my own destiny and just putting faith in, in myself to, to be able to, to build something. The the idea for, for the business in college, you know, certainly uh, we, we didn't start out with, with plans to, to conquer the world. It, it started out, you know, pretty small where initially it was just my partner and I going door to door talking with small business owners about their, their credit card processing solutions. And I think at the time, you know, we were primarily looking for, for beer money uh, and, and really had no concept of, you know, what the, the business would scale into uh, over time. But as we started going out and talking with these business owners, I think we started to get a better understanding of the payments landscape and realize just how big the problem was, you know, that these merchants are facing as they were looking for someone to help them with their, their credit card processing solutions. Well, how did you even, yeah, but how did you even come to that? What, what are you guys like drinking beer one night? You're like, Hey man, let's, uh, let's, let's knock on doors and ask people what their payment credit card. Like, how did you even get to that point to decide to pitch that? Yeah. So my, my partner, his stepdad had started a pretty successful payments business, uh, back in the nineties. And so, okay. uh, you know, over the summer we were talking with him about his business and that was really kind of the origin for like, well, what could we do? within the, the payment space. And you know, neither of us were, were developers. We had essentially no money to, to put <laughs> behind the business and, you know, took us about, you know, a thousand bucks to set up an LLC and start going out and selling, uh, you know, credit card processing. And so pretty humble origins, uh, you know, for the, the business. And, and really before we actually started the company, we really went out and started talking with small business owners to see like, if we could help them, is that something that that they would even entertain? You know, we were 19 year old kids. Would they be willing to trust us? Uh, you know, with their their payment processing services? And the reality was, yes. Uh, you know, these what were you were walk? But let, let's do let's do a mock conversation. I'm curious as to what that sounded like back then. Like, so sound like I'm a restaurant owner. You're walking into my restaurant. I want to, you know, layman's terms. Like, you, you walk up to me. You're like, what are you what are you saying? Are you, you give me the pitch? Give me the pitch. Let's let's do it. Yeah. I want to see. What so, you know, we're we're walking in. I think a lot of these small business owners are, are pretty used to being inundated uh, with people calling them. So, a lot yeah. of the, the big processors employ call centers, and so you're getting you know four or five calls a day as a business yeah. owner coming in. You know, wanting to talk about your processing, and so we're coming in saying, hey. Look, I'm yet another door-to-door salesman coming in to talk about, you know, your credit card processing services, but you should listen. You know, we're, we're entrepreneurial kids. We go to the local college and we'd love to, to save you money in your processing services, offer you better customer support and offer you, you know, the latest and greatest in equipment. And for a lot of the, these business owners, the big issue was they, they were calling a 1-800 number and they're sitting on hold for an hour. To, to get because because and they're calling they're calling a wedding hitter number for the listeners i want to make sure that i walk them through this they're called the the restaurant guy's calling the wedding hitter number because the credit card system's down they can't run any credit cards customers sitting there Correct. waiting. okay all right so and you're telling and you're telling me card- you're, you're telling me like i don't have to wait on hold for an hour i get better service my credit card machine don't go down as often and you're gonna only take 1.25 percent instead of 2.2 or <laughs> how are you pitching <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we were offering them access to, to us. So, you know, Hey, you can text me uh, when you um, have a problem, you've got I access see. to my cell phone number. I live, you know, 10 minutes away from, from the restaurant or the retail or, or you know, whatever it is, and we can be there to, to help you out. Plus, you know, yeah, if we can save you $500 a month on your, your credit card processing services, you know, that's, that's pretty exciting. And early, early on for us, there, there were a couple of like big shifts uh, in the industry that, that really opened up opportunities for us. 
One was the, the shift to like the EMV chips. Like if you, if you think back, you know, 10, 12 years ago, most people didn't have the little chips on the front of their cards. You were still swiping, you know, cards on, on terminals. And even if you had one of those chips, most of the merchants didn't have terminals that were capable of accepting the, the mm -hmm. EMV chips on mm -hmm. the, the cards. And so we were really going out right as the, the, you know, the technology and the liability was, was shifting in the industry, offering merchants free access to upgrades to these EMV, you know, capable terminals. Uh, and so that was, you know, pretty uh, exciting time for, for us where essentially every merchant needed to change processing. I see. Another reason, so another reason to get opportunity. Yeah. Okay. Another reason to get in the door and do your initial pitch was because, Hey, you got to have the upgraded machine anyway. So you need to talk to me. Okay. Got it real quick. I just want to take a pause right here for the listeners and let's go, let's go way down to 200 feet layman's terms. What are payment processors? Why do restaurants and retailers and businesses have to have payment processors? Give the listeners a very layman's term overview of what the hell it is and why they have to have, if you don't mind. Sure. So, you know, you as a consumer, when you're going into that restaurant to, to pay for your food and you hand them, you know, your, your MasterCard credit card, that restaurant, that business owner needs to be set up with a merchant account. So they need the ability to be able to accept, you know, Visa, MasterCard, you know, uh, Discover, American Express credit cards. And in order to do that, they need a merchant account and they need a merchant ID number associated with their business. The card brands have established these rules and regulations for the, the process and who the approved entities are that are able to create these payment accounts for the small business owners. And mm -hmm. we, as the credit card processors, were the ones selling access to you know these services to help these small business owners get their merchant account created in order for them to be able to accept you know credit card payments from from customers. Okay, let me pause right there. I just want to make sure I understand something because this is important. So you're telling me that Mastercard and Visa and American Express they all got together in a little room and they're like, look, we need somebody to get our money from this restaurant. And we don't want to do it individually. We just need an entity to collect our cash, no matter what card they run. We need somebody else to handle that. Therefore, we're going to make, we're going to create this business called this merchant services. And guys like you are like, cool, I'm going to start a merchant services business. Did I get it? Is that it? That is pretty accurate. So, you know, <laughs> we were the, the guys very far down the chain and, you know, my, my first business, we would consider ourselves an ISO, an independent sales organization. And really we were, reselling the payment services from, you know, TSIS, First Data, you know, WorldPay, et cetera. So we were reselling the payment services for these big, uh, you know, multi-billion dollar uh, public companies who had the direct relationships with the card brands. Mm, I see. Okay. All right. All right. Very good. And, and so are, do you have, like, is there software that, that does there tech special technology that you have to, house and run all these transactions? Is that how it works? Basically, you're a, you're a software company that, that transfers all this data? So my first company, essentially, I would say no. My, my first company, we were really a sales organization. We have you know, well over 100, 1099 sales agents out there selling. My, my new business, Tilled, we, we are absolutely a tech okay. platform, a software business. And you know, we, we have really built you know, payment solutions to help uh, you know, other companies be able to accept payment services and embed payments within their platform. But before we get to Tilled, though, when you were first selling, what were you selling? How were you, 
if you didn't have software yourself and machines and stuff, what were you selling? I don't understand. We were reselling payment services from a lot of the, the, the big providers. And so we were, we were selling credit card terminals who had okay. software okay. built onto them that was powered by, you know, a TSIS or a first data. Uh, I see. Or, I see. You know, I see. I see. I got it. Okay. And then you're like, I don't need to resell the services. I need to cut that part out and start my own. I, I think I'm, I think I'm following you. You know, I've always kind of wondered, and I know a lo- most people listening to this podcast know that there's this weird fee that retailers get charged when they run their credit, run their credit card, but they don't really understand it. Right. They don't understand how it works or any of that, by the way, why does there have to be a fee? What, why, why is there a fee? Does it, does why it- is there a fee? So, I mean, a cu- couple of reasons. Uh, I, I'd say one of the big ones is the fact that, you know, as a consumer, you're getting cash back. So, you know, when you get 2% cash back on your credit card, who do you think is paying for, you know, the cash back on that, that credit card? It's really the, the merchants. It's really the, the small business owners. And, you know, I think that that's definitely a big part of the, the, the reason you also have the, the banks and the card brands who have to make some money, uh, you know, along the way. And so the, the banks that are, are providing the, the processing and the card brands that are processing the transactions, you know, need to, to benefit. Uh, but a lot of it's the cash back. There's also consumer protection. You know, you as a consumer, if you're going in and, and paying with cash, you know, you have no, no real recourse. Uh, if something goes wrong with the, the goods or services that you're purchasing. But as a consumer, if you go in and pay with, you know, your Amex or your, your credit card, you have, you know, essentially 0%, uh, you know, consumer chargeback liability where you can, you know, call up your, your bank or your, your, um, you know, credit card and say, Hey, you know, I never got, you know, these services, or I never received the goods that, that I paid for. And, you know, they will work on your behalf to, to go collect the money, you know, from the merchant. There's really no hassle for, for you as a, as a consumer, but ultimately the merchants, you know, are paying for that. And oftentimes, you know, the way that we would uh, position is that it's really the merchant paying for the convenience of, you know, allowing their customer to, to pay by credit card, because on average, you know, businesses that are accepting, uh, you know, credit cards versus being cash only, are going to see higher average ticket. They're going to see, you know, more loyal customers. Um, and ultimately typically are going to generate a lot more revenue, uh, you know, each month in, in sales, just based on, you know, consumer spending habits. Okay. Very good. Co- I appreciate you walking us through some of the basics there. I know you want to get into Tilled and some of the bigger picture stuff, but I just want to make sure the listeners have a general idea of, of how it all works. Okay. So you and your buddies, you're selling stuff door to door. You start, you start moving along. Walk me through now some of your early companies there. Walk me through your career and then into Tilled. Go for it. Sure. So, you know, as we were scaling up that, that first ISO business, uh, we started getting brought in on these consulting opportunities for larger software platforms that were processing anywhere between about $100 million up to about a billion dollars a year in annual processing volume. And th- these software companies would be, you know, property management platforms selling to, to landlords, gym management platforms selling to gym owners, you know, donation management, uh, you know, platform selling to nonprofits, healthcare vertical software, uh, all of these different vertical software platforms that really needed help with their their payment solutions. And in the early days of of my career, we were helping a lot of these companies transition from, you know, a Stripe or a Braintree, uh, which, you know, maybe not all listeners are familiar with, but I think people in the the payment space are, are pretty familiar 
you know, with companies like, like Stripe and Braintree. And the issue for a lot of these software platforms uh, was that when they were transitioning from someone like a Stripe or a Braintree uh, to a company like a Tesis or a First Data that, you know, we were reselling in my, my prior ISO, the big issue for a lot of these software platforms was the onboarding process for their customers. So if you think about, you know, these software platforms, if you're that gym management platform, you are okay. trying to onboard gyms to be able okay. to collect payments within your, your platform. And yep. if your integrated payment solution is powered by, you know, one of these legacy processors, you are going to be emailing your customer a PDF application. <laughs> you're emailing them, you know, five page PDF and asking them to print, sign and scan this PDF document and attach a driver's license, a voided check, you know, previous processing statements and maybe tax returns in order to be able to sign up for your your payment solution. So this is me the, this is process. this is me the this is me the gym owner having to get all this shit figured out and having to go through this 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 okay, I got it. I'm with you. And so right. that's the the process when you're essentially working under an ISO. You've got this very arduous, mm. you know, manual mm. paper-based onboarding mm. process mm. and the thing that I learned throughout that consulting work mm. was about this idea of a payback or the, the payment facilitator model. And the, the real secret sauce behind the payback model is this idea of an instant digital onboarding experience. Mm. So, you know, we talked about the ISO onboarding process, mm. Mm. Uh, you know, five page PDF, bunch of supporting documentation. And, and oftentimes we take a few weeks for the gym owners to ever get back, you know, their application under yeah. the payback model. The allure there is that as the gym management platform, we're gonna send you Steve an email you click on this email, you fill out a digital application in you know four or five minutes, you click submit, you don't have to upload any supporting documentation and your account can be instantly approved. So instead of I having see. to wait a week or more to get mm -hmm. your account approved, you get this instant digital you know, onboarding application, which sounds pretty awesome. Uh, you know, if you're the, the yes. gym management platform. I um, see. And so, you know, that was one of the, the kind of big things that, that identified was, the, the excitement around this, this payment facilitator model. But mm, as I mm. started to dig deeper into the, the model, one of the things that, that I started to understand was that the process for you know, that gym management platform to become a payback was incredibly difficult and expensive. You're talking okay. two years, millions of dollars for the, the gym management platform to go become a fully registered payment facilitator which is pretty prohibitive. And that's why so many of these software platforms were sticking with, you know, the legacy processors and the, the PDF, uh, you know, application process, because there's no way they were going to spend all the time and money and energy required to go become a payfac themselves. Mm, mm, okay. By the way, payfac, you didn't come up with pay. Where's that term? Payment. You didn't invent payfac, did you? Uh, we did not invent Payfac, just Payfac as a service. Uh, but okay. WorldPay right. uh, coined the term payment facilitator or Payfac, and I believe actually has a trademark around the, the term uh, Payfac. And so WorldPay uh, was really one of the original uh, you know, platforms offering uh, the Payfac model to companies like Stripe, Square, Braintree, you know, PayPal. Um, and so th those are kind of the original Payfacs I that I think a lot of people are, are familiar with. Um, Okay. All right. So tilled. So started in 2019. Did you move out to Boulder to start that company or you, you were already out here? 
I was already in Boulder. Um, so I, we, we came out to, to Boulder kind of primarily lifestyle related. We were living in Boston, uh, you know, previously and just decided that the Boston winters weren't the, the direction <laughs> that, that we wanted to go. And so came out here about five years ago and, you know, I was doing a lot of this consulting work and I was actually investing in startups, uh, you know, myself and between the, the consulting work and the, the, uh, investments that, that we were doing really saw this opportunity for, for Tilled and the concept behind Tilled is really aimed mm -hmm. to simplify access to this payment facilitator model for software platforms where instead of two years and millions of dollars to take advantage of the payback model, you can come plug into Tilled's APIs and SDKs and launch in about two or three weeks without hiring a team, without taking on any additional liabilities. And the kicker is that we're still paying the lion's share of the revenue to the software platform. And so you know they're getting this payments infrastructure that they can build on top of without having to hire a bunch of employees, no additional liability, but still an incredible recurring revenue stream uh, on every payment that's processed through their platform. So you saw this need. Were you, uh, did you have co-founders? Were, were you a solo founder? Solo founder, uh, which I, I think, you know, is a, is a pretty lonely place to be in the, <laughs> in the early days. And so, you know, you can imagine me, solo founder, you know, three years ago, going around to all of these, you know, multi-billion dollar public companies and trying to convince them uh, that they really needed to, to do business with us and, you know, change their model and, and build technology and, and come, you know, work with us. And at the time, you know, we were years away from a website. I didn't even have, you know, an LLC open. We had no funding, you know, no employees. And so, you know, definitely a pretty crazy time at the, at the beginning of the journey. But I think for me, I, I was just so, um, I just had so much faith in this vision for, for what we could build and, and really just a lot of passion for the problem that I had experienced so many times over and over with these software platforms that I felt like, you know, we could build something to, to really solve these problems for, for these well, software platforms. Well, you definitely are a visionary. You saw the need, you had the experience in the industry, but are you, did you write the software? Did you have to, did you bootstrap it yourself? Did you use your own cash to pay developers to write the software? Walk us through some of that early stuff there. Yeah. So the, the first 18 months of, of till, you know, I, I was financing a lot of the business. We, we raised some, some friends and family money, uh, but really we didn't bring on, you know, institutional outside investors until almost two years into the journey. And so, you know, definitely a lot of, uh, you know, hard wow. work and, and sweat equity uh, in the early days where, you know, we were bringing in the, the resources that we need and oftentimes, you know, paying people with equity, and, you know, doing what we needed to do to, to get uh, the first mm -hmm. version of the software ready so that we could go out and raise, you know, some proper venture funding uh, and really get the capital that we needed to scale the business. I think the problem for me was I knew it was going to be about a two-year journey for us to build, you know, the, okay. the software uh, before we ever really were able to, to process a transaction. And not a lot of venture investors want to sit around for two years while you're building software, you know, before you're able to make, uh, you know, any money. And so we knew that, you know, that was probably the right path for, for us so to take, at least in the early days. So let me get this straight. You, 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 go to your, you go to your dad or your friends and you're like, hey, look, I got this idea. Pretty sure it'll work. I don't have, <laughs> I don't have any, I don't have any software developed. I don't have any, I don't have a website. I don't have an LLC. I don't have shit, but I need you to give me some cash because I'm pretty sure this is going to work. <laughs> love it, man. Yeah, it's pretty I love it. I love that, Caleb. <laughs> Uh, I'm kind of joking around, but being serious at the same time, you know, for the listeners, you got to be passionate around what you believe in. You got to be able to sell it to some friends and family early on and put in your own cash. 
Meanwhile, what's your wife saying? Is your wife like, hey, uh, you're like using our savings and you're not uh, you're not getting paid. And yeah, this is fun, but <laughs> well, I'm not sure this is going to work out. Yeah. Was the stress at home a little bit? It had to be. You know, I would say she was inc- she has been incredibly supportive through, throughout the, the journey. I think she she has always been, you know, my my number one supporter. I think the the first you know year or so of the, the journey total faith. No, no worries. Everybody's good. I think the, the point where they're starting that was when you, that was when you still had, that was when you still had money and savings. And then after the 12 months, that was when we had money and savings. We only had one kid. And then, uh, my son was born in February of 2020. And then a little thing called COVID hit, uh, you know, about a month later. And, you know, at that point in time, there were, there were definitely questions around like, Hey, you know, we're employing, you know, at that point we had five people on the team and it's like, you know, is this really, you know, what we want to be doing with, with all the cash? We've got a second kid at home, you know, stock markets in the toilet. You know, it was a, it was a pretty crazy time in the, in the early days of, of COVID. Uh, and the you know, five people, and, and the five people you had, your five employees, you're like, look, I'm going to give you some more stock and some more units in the company. Don't worry. <laughs> I can't pay you this month, but look, you get five more units, which is worth another 2%. Just hang in there. <laughs> You know, we, we never stopped making payroll, uh, oh, which is, which is something you. that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, you know, appreciative of, um, nice, nice, the, nice. the PPP loans definitely helped, uh, helped, you know, in the, in the early days. And so, you know, I think for, for us, we really took that time where we were planning to go on a hiring spree and really start ramping up the, the business. And then, you know, COVID hit and it's like, okay, well, let's, let's take a step back mm-hmm. <laughs> and let's, yep. you know, figure out what's going on. And, and we really took, uh, a couple of months during the, the early days of COVID to, to really get uh, a lot of feedback from our customer base. Great. So, you know, we, we really spent a lot of time understanding like, hey, how does this changing environment affect you? How, how mm. are you guys thinking mm. about, you know, evolving your, your platforms? And I think one of the things that, that we started to, to realize was that the digitization of payments was going to be so important for these software companies as they were trying to figure out how to navigate COVID and the aftermath of, of COVID because all of a sudden, you know, nobody, everybody was afraid of cash. They were afraid mm-hmm. of going into yep. to businesses. You know, nobody wanted to touch pens and paper. Everybody wanted digital application processes. They wanted to move money online. They wanted APIs to be able to process transactions. And so it, it really changed the way that small business owners and then these software platforms, I think really thought about payments. And uh, fortunately for us, I think strengthened the value proposition behind you know what we're we're building uh at tilled and we were able to get some incredible feedback you know over that couple of months nice. while we nice. were kind of paused trying to think through you know what to do and, and ultimately i think that really helped us refine the the, the product and the in the business model before we you know finalized the, the product build and before we went out to market to try to sell this thing to, to mm, very good now you've raised some cash now from a pe or vc or angels or what you know you can you share any details Certainly. So we raised our first round of VC funding uh, back in November of last year. So we raised 2.15 million in a seed round back in in November. We've Congrats. since raised an 11 million dollar Series A round. Whoa! Uh, there it is. Okay. All right. Congratulations. Raise the Series A. Love it. Great job, bud. Really. Congrats. Nice. Nice. When was that? Thank you. When was uh, we closed on the 11 million in May of this year. And was that was that uh, one entity or was that spread across a bunch of people? Uh, I would say primarily one new investor. So Rebecca Lynn from Canvas Ventures led our, our Series A. And then we had participation from really all of our existing investors 
from the seed round to, to make okay. up the 11 million, but the bulk of it was, was canvas ventures who led, okay. the, led the a round. Congratulations on that. Now I got to ask you, are you comfortable sharing this? Did the 11 million, did that mean that uh, Caleb is no longer in control of the cap table and like officially give up control of uh, the cap table or do you want to share that? I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, good, good question. I think a lot of people are, are very curious about, you know, how, how dilution works and, and how, you know, venture mm -hmm. investing works when it yeah. comes to, to board structures and things, you know, yeah. um, in, in that round, you know, we, we ended up giving up less than 15% of the, the business for, you know, 11 million bucks, which is what? pretty, pretty great. Um, okay. We got to go. Then, to, you know, all right. Very good. Awesome. We, we were able to add uh, two pretty, pretty key board members. Uh, to our board. So Rebecca Lynn, who led the, the round, was able to join our board. And then we also added um, Abi Tuari, who led the, the mergers and acquisitions at Stripe uh, previously. And so, you know, definitely added some, some firepower to our board, which is, you know, certainly helping us in, in the growth trajectory of the business. Wow, buddy. Congratulations. Now, did you run in the quote, Boulder investor startup circles? Did you did you know these people? Were you going to the right? Were you going to the right dinner parties? Like, I, I, you know, talk to us. <laughs> give, give some advice there for the listeners. Yeah, um, we have honestly not raised much money from from local uh, oh. Colorado investors. Most of our investors are are based in the in the Bay Area, and for okay. me, I had almost no contacts within you know Silicon Valley and, and Bay Area to the point that. Um, I guess this is about 18 months ago, you know, I'm on Google, how to write cold emails, you know, to, to VCs to, to get them to, to listen. <laughs> I love that. And I, I sent out that. a couple of cold emails to investors outlining, you know, my background, the, the vision for what we're building, and then just kind of short pitch on, on till. And, you know, I was fortunate to be able to get a couple of these guys to respond uh, wow. to, to those, you know, cold emails. And for me, the thing that I did was, you know, take the call. Uh, and, and really ask them for advice. Like, how should I go about trying to network, you know, within uh, the, the VC ecosystem to, to get in front of the right people? And, you know, th these uh, individuals that took the call were, were nice enough to introduce me uh, to a couple of investors. And, and one of them ended up leading our seed round. And so, you know, That's... got connected to, to wow. the right person through a, a cold email who introduced me to someone that ended up leading our, our seed round and the, the guys at abstract essentially from there opened up their Rolodex and, you know, we were introduced to everybody that we wanted to, to speak with. Um, great job. Great, great job. Can you describe what it feels like? I, I'm guessing now I've never raised 11 million myself, but I have a bunch of friends in Boulder and a bunch of people have been on the podcast. So I talk about this stuff all the time, but I want to hear it from you. You know, what's it feel like? So you, you go out to dinner with your friends, your wife, you celebrate the, you close, you just close $11 million. There's this huge excitement, you, you know, it's like, wow, high fives. And then, and then what, like 48 hours later, you're like, Oh shit, $11 million. These people are going to want their money back and they're going to want to return. <laughs> and now all this stress is on me. <laughs> right. Is that the, yeah. is that the swing of emotions right there? I think so. And, you know, the, the process leading up to, to closing is just always so stressful. You know, you, you've been working on a deal for, for months and then, you know, there's always things that are, that are fluctuating uh, in the final hours as you're going through all the legal paperwork and uh, you know, the, the kind of cat herding process at the end of the, the round to, to get uh, you know, everything in order. And then, you know, you finally get it closed, you get the money in the bank and, and you're right. There, there's this like 
brief period of celebration where you're like, wow, we accomplished this. You know, we looking back, like, you know, this, this months of effort to, to get this deal, you know, over the line is, is fantastic. Um, but you're right. You know, you have to start looking forward and say, okay, well, how are we now going to deploy, you know, this $11 million because, you know, shareholders do expect, uh, you know, a return plus for us, you know, we're, we're supporting the lives of all of our team members. And that so, too. you know, think it's not just the investors, it's the, the right. people that were crazy enough to join us, uh, you know, on this journey to, to build out till. And, you know, at that point in time, we had 12 people on the team at this point, we're up to 40. Uh, nice. so, you know, we're, nice. we're definitely supporting a, a lot of, a lot of households, uh, both here in Colorado as, as well as around the country. Congratulations. And by the way, for the listeners, if you're an aspiring entrepreneur, believe it or not, at first you're passionate about the product or the service that you've come up with. Like you got this idea and that's your passion. It quickly moves into the people and the passion around, holy shit, I'm taking care of this family. The company's taking care of that family. Uh, Johnny and Mary, that's, this is how they're paying their mortgage. Holy crap. If I don't make payroll or if this goes bad, what are they going to do? That's going to crush their, you, you move into this responsibility for your employees and you're thinking about their lives and what the money for their salary is doing for their mortgages or their kids' school, right? It quickly moves into that level of stress and almost away from the original idea or product, right? Because you start caring about the people. Most founders, I think, have that, that experience. And so I'm glad you brought that up. You know, no, being Steve, totally agree. And I, I, yeah. I also feel like, you know, the, the people are such an important part of the, the business. And, you know, for us, like I mentioned, yes. you know, we started this year with five people around the A round, we had 12 people and we're now up to 40 people. And, yes. you know, people are really the, the reason why th this business is so, uh, you know, successful. And I think for us, you know, we'll probably triple the team again over the next, you know, nine, 12 months and be well over, you know, a hundred people uh, cool. as we close out next year. And like, those people are just so critical to, to the success of the business and, and finding, you know, people that are excited and passionate uh, about what we're building is, is pretty key to, to us being able to, to succeed where we've got the product, we've got the software, we've got the platform, you know, ready to go. Now we need people to, you know, help get this thing into the hands of as many software companies uh, as we can. Congratulations on what you've built so far, my friend, and getting it to this point. Uh, really, and for the listeners, by the way, tilled. T-I-L-L-E-D, just tilled.com, just like it sounds. You can go there and check out the company and see what they're about. Also, before I forget, Caleb Avery on LinkedIn. You can connect with him there and learn more about him as well. Let me ask you, Caleb, if you were giving, I don't know, two or three pieces of advice really quick to an aspiring entrepreneur, a uh, couple of buddies that want to start something, uh, but they're, they're a little worried, a little nervous, hadn't started yet. What would you tell them based on what you've learned? Great question. Uh, I think, you know, you're, you're certainly right to, to be nervous <laughs> and, and stressed out. You know, the, the entrepreneurial journey is, is long and, and it's tough. And I think for, for me, the, the best thing that, that I did was really getting crystal clear feedback from the market on, on what we are, we're, we're building because, you know, you can have a, a vision for what you want to, to go build but if that's not what the market wants, you right. know, the business is, is really unlikely to, to succeed. And, and I think the, the other thing is that, you know, especially like if you're a solo founder out there going and getting that feedback so that you have that, that sounding board of someone else to say, hey, here's what we're thinking. Here are the ideas that I have on where we want to go with the business. Is that something that resonates with you? And get that, that feedback from the market because A, it's going to help you 
you know, dial in your product and your service and, and what you're building, but it's also going to help give you confidence <laughs> to continue on in the, in the journey uh, because it's a long road. You know, it always takes longer than, than you want it to. It takes more time, more capital, yes. uh, you know, than you want. And you've got to have, you know, faith and commitment in, you know, what you're, you're building to, to be able to kind of get through the, the gauntlet, especially in the early days. Mm-hmm. How about this? Uh, if you could give some advice to a young CEO or somebody that's, well, maybe not even young, but somebody in a CEO spot for the first time, because now you're experiencing that, right? With 40 people, mm-hmm. this is, uh, you're, you're kind of learning on the fly a little bit, right? Definitely. Uh, what advice would you give first time CEO based on what you know so far? Great, great question. I, I think, you know, whether it's a CEO or really, you know, any, any executive position, if you're in that role for the first time, I think one of the things that, that you really need to do is take stock of, you know, yourself, your skills, your abilities, and, and just be honest with yourself. What are you good at? What are you great at? What are you not <laughs> so great at? And then find people and surround yourself with team members that can really help, you know, fill those gaps. If you identify that like, Hey, maybe, you know, this prospective founder is, is very bad at sales. They just know that they're, they're not the person that's going to go out and sell this product. Well, you need to find someone that can help, you know, complement that, that gap, because ultimately you're trying to, to fill out, you know, a team that's going to be the, the best possible team for, for that business. And until you understand, you know, what you as the leader bring to the table and lack, uh, mm-hmm. it's going to be hard to figure out how to build up that team around you to really maximize, you know, your chances of success with the business. Mm, good, good advice. Last question, my friend. If you could define Caleb's core purpose in life, but I asked you, let, let's separate your two young children and your wife. Okay, let's, let's set that over here. They're kind of like the, the special core purpose, right? So setting that aside, beyond them, what is Caleb's core purpose in life? Very interesting question. Um, you know, I think for, for me, I have always been driven by this desire to just solve problems and kind of figure out things that, that other people, you know, maybe don't see and, and don't quite, you know, understand. And, and that's really driven, you know, me from, from childhood, you know, through, through college, my, my first business, you know, this business. And, and, and I really feel like that the way that I, I look at the world, I look at you know, everything that's going on around me, take in data and look at these problems that, that, you know, I'm seeing and experiencing and really figuring out, you know, what can I do with my time to, to solve these problems? Because it's fun for me. I, I enjoy the, the idea of kind of thinking through very complex problems and figuring out, you know, what the best way, you know, to, to solve them is. And it just brings me, you know, joy and, and, and happiness to kind of see, you know, these, these problems being solved that, you know, I identified, figured out a solution and kind of brought, um, you know, solutions to, to the table, whether that's, you know, business or, or otherwise, it just, it just drives me. You are solving problems. You're creating revenue. You're, you're creating lifestyles for people, pushing out a new brand to the market. And it sounds like you're having fun. Congratulations, my friend. A lot of fun. Uh, and I think, you know, I, I'm fortunate to be doing something that I just really enjoy doing. And, you know, I, I'm glad that comes through you know, in this conversation and, you know, for, for entrepreneurs out there, you know, find something that you enjoy doing uh, because if you don't, it, it's going to be a long road. Uh, but if you enjoy it, I mean, it just makes uh, the entire journey so much more fun. Couldn't agree more. Caleb, thank you very much for sharing your inspirational story on the Rider Flex podcast. I really appreciate it. 
Awesome, Steve. Thanks so much for having me on today. I really appreciate it.